All right, I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. It's Andrew back on the podcast talking about the episode Shadow Play from season six. What is this episode 123 for us here on the podcast? Good lord, we're what? That's halfway through now, at least. Um, this one's written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Peter DeLuise. Uh, starts with uh, Gary Jones. Five points for the episode there. Um, an audio signal is coming through, so this episode is about Kelowna. And uh, sometimes I, uh, I, my partner tells me I go out wearing too much Kelowna. Hmm. Dad jokes working for you? <laughs> um, some good Colonel O'Neill lines in this episode. I hope you diplomatically told them where to shove it. And um, later on... Uh, what makes you think I give a damn? <laughs> it's not my problem, you know. But I gotta say, apart from that, I did not like this episode much. Well, that's not true. I liked it. It was a great story, some great moments. Just re It was really interesting. It just was not 40 minutes interesting. It was just so long, and I've actually... It's taken me... Uh, three hours and 50 minutes to finish it. <laughs> because I've just stopped it. I've gotten so bored and I've stopped it and gone to do other things. I've, you know, checked my stocks and done my budget for the month and cleared my email inboxes and just watched other stuff. I've been watching the uh, latest episode of For All Mankind um, when someone gets buried under a thing on that place that isn't Earth and I won't spoil it any more than that. Um, yeah. Anyway, this episode, quite, uh, dull and slow-moving and not super gripping across the entire time. You know, I, I'd be like, <laughs> I've been shouting at the characters all morning, like, oh, hurry up. <laughs> Say your thing and let's move on. <laughs> Silly things like that. <laughs> um, what do we got? We got five points again for... A director cameo, Peter DeLuise is in the background in the opening um, tease. Out of focus, but you can tell it's him if you know what he looks like. Um, and the story is, we still need their Nequadria. Uh, it's a loose end that they haven't tied up. Is that Daniel Jackson died when we went there to look at Nequadria, and um, sure, we had other stuff going on. He died, and we had to deal with that and stuff, but we didn't deal with the fact that we need more of this stuff, and they have it. And so it was quite interesting to see the whole, how do we negotiate Jonas? Is he a traitor? Uh, only from a certain point of view. <laughs> ben Kenobi might say, you know, from his point of view, I know I did the right thing by stealing from my government's most secret 
national treasury thing and taking it to an alien race. It's a, you know, I'm sure all the people in the 50s and the 60s, the, uh, what is it, the, the nuclear spies, the atomic spies, what was it, eight of them, Cambridge, what am I talking about? You can Google Cambridge atomic spies. There's like this ring of eight intellectuals who stole all these atomic secrets and gave them to the Soviets halfway through the last century. And so they're kind of um, teasing that dynamic with Jonas. And uh, and uh, I, so I gave it kind of uh, two reference points here because it's, it's kind of a reference to that stuff, um, this whole episode. It's also... Um, the the old scientist is also kind of a reference to apparently a direct reference to scientist named John Forbes Nash Jr. who is the a beautiful mind guy who did some secret work and then got really paranoid about a communist plot and was hallucinating about people coming to get him. Um, it's also a slight reference to Robert Oppenheimer and the other Manhattan Project atomic scientists who regretted their role in creating this destructive force, and it's also a bit of a reference to the other uh, scientists, uh, Marie and Pierre Curie, who discovered radium, and it poisoned them slowly as they worked on their discovery. Um, yeah. I also gave it another, like, three points as a little reference to, um, the Fermi Paradox. Uh, Stargate has ex explored this a couple of times. The no the Nolan? No, that's the director. Tolan. <laughs> Good lord. The Tolan, um, the Knox, other races, you know, we must not interfere, the prime directive, we don't trust these, um, you know, that's the reason we don't meet aliens who are benevolent and kind and generous, is because they don't trust us, uh, these lower life forms with all their super technology. Um, and here the position is actually reversed for one of the first times. Um, <laughs> the humans of Earth, the Tauri, have got more technology, and they're the ones who are unwilling to share it. Um, <clears throat> it's always been the other way until now. Uh, the SG-1 and other SG teams have gone begging to all these other advanced alien races and got nothing back because, you know, no one trusts anyone else. What a universe we live in, boy. Okay, let's carry on. Uh, General Hammond, I love this, this moment in the middle of the episode. You may notice I'm not sticking to the plot very, uh, <laughs> very thoroughly here. I'm really breezing through it. But I love this bit about, what is it, a third of the way in? General Hammond saying, uh, the Joint Chiefs are going to want me to give them a recommendation. And looks expectantly at Jack. <laughs> He's like, basically, Jack O'Neill, please give me a recommendation that I can give to my boss. <laughs> That's just a little cute moment. Um, as we uh, get through, we, we introduce this whole... Um, 
Jonas is a dreamer thing versus we have to stay here and deal with reality. And I did really love this First Minister actor. He's very good. His little Trotsky beard, a little bit. You can't quite tell if all the stuff he says in this episode about they must give us more space to live. We demand living room. You know, is he is he is he Hitler? <laughs> His little dictatorial, he's got like a badge about around his throat, which is kind of like an Iron Cross looking thing. Um, playing favorites and nepotism, I'm going to give you a pardon if you do this personal favor for me. You know, you can't quite tell if this first minister is in fact a devil character. In the final evaluation, you know, because once you, once you, uh, untangle all the tangled threads in this episode about who's real <laughs> and who's lying and what the real story is because there is no resistance. Um, in the final evaluation, I think he's probably just a quite reasonable national leader, all things considered, all the things he says. Um, I mean, not that I need to pass any judgment on it, but yeah, so they really play with that possibility that um, he's a weaselly guy trying to undermine Jonas's new team, trying to undermine all the scientists, trying to hush up the conspiracies. And in the end, it's not really... it not all that true, is it? <laughs> um, the the organization... Uh, the resistance. They're going to have a coup when the time is right. This is all a great proposal. Um... It's uh, it's amazing how SG-1 was just allowed to wander around the planet uh, investigating this guy's, uh, the scientist's... I, I didn't even learn his name, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the, the resistance scientist main guy in this episode. SG-1 just kind of took a tour <laughs> of Kelowna. <laughs> just whenever he needed to chat, they were there. Um, you know, let's go meet your friends in the the resistance because it it does sound like a good deal, um, and this would you can't help but think with that kind of situation, this would be something Daniel Jackson would be all over, wouldn't it? You know, Jack O'Neill, military man, classical military thinking, um, political science thinking is balance of power. You've got to find some crazy other factor which gives you more power which acts as a deterrent uh, against all the other guys change the equation um, like that Daniel Jackson would be like let's form human relationships with people who have shortcuts to undermine all of that power nonsense you know oh Daniel Jackson would be all over this and Perhaps this was the entire point of this episode. If it is the point, they made it very, very badly. Because <laughs> they didn't make it at all. This just occurred to me right now. Maybe the whole point of this episode was to show that SG-1 is really missing a Daniel Jackson perspective and capability here. Um, Daniel Jackson would be all about these negotiations, trying to play the, uh, the underground resistance Thing to its uh, maximum potential. SG-1 in this episode is so impotent, aren't they? They don't do anything. And my note here is no Teal'c. <laughs> Speaking of impotence, Teal'c has nothing to do in this episode. He says three or four lines, which are part of that classic Stargate SG-1 
sharing all the lines around the table so that everybody says one thing. <laughs> and that's all he does. Yet again, poor Teal'c. Um, sometimes I just think it would make more sense if there was... <laughs> if he was just off-world dealing with a Jafar thing. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I don't love Jafar stuff as a rule, <laughs> it would just make so much more sense for one character to not be there each week. <laughs> or invent a B-plot where Teal'c is a man who's going to bring in a Jafar expert or Jafar army at the last minute or something, you know? Poor Teal'c, he just wanders around following O'Neill blindly about the universe, chipping in with one line now and then, and otherwise remaining silent and just kind of cocking his eyebrow <laughs> in the way he does. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, what else? I had to laugh at the, all the chemistry labs that the these these scenes take place in they're all set up with like beakers and different colored liquids and machinery and stuff it's like he's a theoretical scientist you know <laughs> he's not he's not like mixing it on his desk all of these formulas and stuff he sends it down to the people who work in the lab and he writes his papers <laughs> That's how science works, I think. I don't know. It just seemed real weird that he's the top uh, scientist in the land and he's doing the manual work and getting his hands all chemically. <laughs> um, yeah, so many important plot points, so many important conversations in this episode. Um, it is, you know, it's it's a good script, perhaps not as tight as it could be. It's got some great stingers, some great gotcha moments and stuff, but I noticed no push and swells on the old uh, Stagate scoreboard for this episode. None at all. <laughs> it's just like an undertone of music at all times going, <laughs> Did you notice that? Because <laughs> it's all talking. <laughs> Nothing happens. Um, what else have we got? Um, oh yeah, I love when uh, the uh, hallucination sort of starts taking full effect and um, the professor starts imagining Jonas. So Jonas transforms from, you know, nervous new guy into sexy slow-mo confidence man. <laughs> and of course it's part of that whole... Um, we don't know if he's actually taken this deal to undermine everybody and betray everybody. It seems like he has, but it turns out it was all a dream. <laughs> it was a little bit lazy. Um, speaking of lazy, um, when it's revealed that there's a stockpile of Naquita somewhere around... <laughs> And Samantha Carter is walking around with a little beeper in her hand saying, I'm picking up some readings, sir, this way. It's so lazy. <laughs> it's like... It's it's as bad as if you were parodying Star Trek. <laughs> like, unkindly. If you were mocking how dumb Star Trek is, you would have someone say, I'm picking something up. And then they'd hold their gadget out with their outstretched hand and frown a little bit and go, This way! You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit lazy, I'm sorry to say. 
five points for the episode because it is revealed that Jonas for half the time has not been real. He's just been a vision at the bedside of the very sick old man. Um, so that's body switching slash where he's not who we thought he was. He's just, he's been affecting the plot. He's been affecting, you know, people and stuff in this story, but he's not been the real Jonas. So that does count for the five points. Um, and that's really all my notes. Oh, at the end here, they talk about how we're doing tests or we can work on the Nequadria that you, that SG-1 brought back from the warehouse. They stole that Nequadria? <laughs> they just stole it? Isn't there some kind of, like, customs check when they go to a... <laughs> to us through the Stargate to, Col to and from Kelowna? Do they check their bags? <laughs> they just picked that up in a warehouse, zipped it up in the back of Tilk's backpack, because he's, you know, got the best radiation shielding because of his symbiote, walked on back to the Kelowna deep underground bunker and said, hey, we're heading back to Earth for a minute. Been nice to see you guys. Um, toodaloo. <laughs> Catch you later. Smell you later. And, um... <laughs> No one thought to check that they weren't stealing the most valuable resource in the universe from right under their noses. That was very cheeky, and they don't even draw any attention to it in this episode. Like, this this whole Kelowna thing is all morals and what's the right thing to do and stuff, but they don't touch that at all. Like, that's a real old-school Jack O'Neill, Shades of Grey uh, strategy there. Like, we're just stealing this. We found it. So what if it's on your planet? We found it. Finders keepers, neener neener. <laughs> anyway, that's a total of twenty points for this episode. I didn't watch the commentary. It was Peter Deloise, but no Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mali. So I thought, eh, I'm already so bored that I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's not. It's probably not going to be super funny. Um, I did watch the eight-minute Peter Deloise director series about this episode, though, and that. Had a couple of cool little behind-the-scenes bloopers, particularly Richard Dean Anderson, like, flubbing all his lines. But other than that, it's a 20-point episode. Very low, and it very accurately reflects my opinion of it. <laughs> it's not a great episode, I'm sorry. It's not in the bottom 10 of all time. You need to get 15 points or less to do that. But anyway, we are off, and next time it is The Other Guys, which is a great great episode if you've never seen it it is such a treat um very different from anything you've ever seen in stargate before can't wait see you then bye bye